Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to our Sunday night study time. We're in a series called Soul Food. This is part 17, the things you need to know about your Bible. And this is our second Sunday night on the parable of the soils, which is just such a relevant topic when you're thinking about the word and how it does its work, both, and here's the thing, both bringing into our lives spiritual life and, though not talked about as often, removing spiritual life in a form of judgment. I mean, this parable is thematic on both of those fronts. The second part, the way um, the, the word of God works in unresponsive, uh, dead hearts, drawing spiritual life away is so relevant when you consider uh, all of the kind of brand name Christians these days, worship leaders and celebrities who who kind of mock the faith they once professed and deconstruct and abandon their Christian faith, and it causes such a hoopla in the church. This parable actually talks about that, and we'll get to that just a little later on. So Matthew 13, 1 to 9. Get a Bible, and uh, let's study, just for a little while, let's study this important passage together. Matthew 13, 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. So he was just so crowded, he couldn't stand with them. He has to back up into the, into the water in a boat. Verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A parable went out to sow. A sower went out to sow, sorry, and he sowed some seeds. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Mark, when he does the parable, he actually reverses the numbers, and I'll talk about that in a little while. Verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. Last week, last Sunday night, and it's online, you can, you can uh, look it up, we talked about two things. One, introducing the background to this parable that same day. That's how... It starts in 13.1, and we looked at what happened that day and how it ties into interpreting the parable. And then we launched into the one point that we sort of wrapped up the teaching time with, which is all growth begins with seed. Clearly, Mark says the seed is the word. There has to be something to germinate. There has to be something to start life. And so the, the foundational point is, in any church worth its salt, in Cedarview Community Church, we have nothing else important to do other than get the truth of the word into the minds and hearts of people. That's, that's why we exist. Seeds, of course, at times take a little while to germinate. And, and, and that might be one of the reasons people don't devote enough energy and time to, to the seed of the word. It's because, like all growth, there's a 
time lag between sowing seed and harvesting. And, and sowing seed isn't usually quite as exciting as harvesting. So sowing takes more discipline, uh, more patience, more faith, more thought. Yeah, it's true. You, you're reading through your Bible and there's places, you know, you get into Leviticus and Second Chronicles and you're kind of bogged down and you think, well, man, this just doesn't feel all that thrilling. And yes, it sometimes can feel less than joyfully fruitful when you don't see the growing sprouts of the word poking through the circumstances of your life quite as quickly as you would like, quite as dramatically as you'd like. And that's why I think Jesus links the word seed. The word is seed, and he links that sowing with harvesting. You, you, you can't harvest the joy, the thrill of harvesting really can't come about without the patience and the discipline and the work of sowing. And Jesus means for us to see that link as he tells this parable. If you don't press faithfulness, patience, maturity into sowing the word into your life, well, then something else will get sown automatically. Jesus and another parable talked about weeds that just get sown in among the, the crop. Something's going to be planted in your heart. If you don't diligently get the word, sowing the word into your heart and into your mind, the Holy Spirit, your creator, God, either he sows his will and way into your life regularly in a disciplined fashion, thoughtfully, or Hollywood will sow into your life automatically. The counsel of the ungodly is everywhere, Psalm 1. Or Twitter, or Facebook, or Instagram, or TikTok. All those things will start to consume your life. So, so, sow the word into your life. That was the first point we looked at. But there's, there's so much more. I want to move on to the second point that we're going to start picking up on tonight. So point number two, if you count point number one from last Sunday night. The word will lose its power in my life if I become too entrenched in my own stubborn patterns of living. Let me tell you two passages where I get that idea. It's Matthew 13, 3 and 4. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path pathway in the old King James, I think, or wayside soil, the path, hard soil. And the birds came and devoured them. Now, Jesus is going to explain what he meant by that when he talks to his disciples. So that same idea about seed on the pathway. Now Jesus gives the explanation. That's in verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 13. Jesus says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, that's the birds, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And so Jesus says there's, there's something to factor in. Take sowing seriously. Read carefully, prayerfully. Get understanding because there's an enemy that's involved in all Bible study. 
He will steal away the seed, the word, from our lives if we don't embrace it deeply with understanding. But, but, but there's a particular kind of understanding Jesus is talking about here. These people weren't stupid. They weren't just unable to grasp the meaning of the word. The problem was different from that. And that's why Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. We looked at this last Sunday night. Look at verses 14 and 15. Here's why the enemy snatches away the seed, the word, so easily from some people's lives. Matthew 13, 14, and 15. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. Okay? Now remember, Jesus said when the, when the seed lands and the people don't understand it, the birds come and snatch it away. So understanding is what Jesus is talking about. And understanding is what Isaiah the prophet is talking about. But it's a particular kind of lack of understanding. You will indeed hear, Matthew 13, 14, but never understand. Same word. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Same idea, perception. Well, why? Are they just not bright? No, no. 15. For this people's heart has grown dull, lest with their ears, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. It's not an intellect problem. It's a stubbornness problem. Their eyes they have closed. Yes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with the heart and turn and I would heal them. So, so that's exactly the same thought Jesus plays out in his parable. He said people's lives can become hard to the truth of the word, like a, like a path that's just been packed down with lots of foot traffic and, and the seed can't penetrate. Other things have been so busy. People get busy with the desires of their minds. People get busy with the dreams of their hearts. And the seed of God's word ends up just bouncing off the surface of their lives. They've, in Isaiah's words, they've closed their eyes. They've shut their ears. So, so Jesus isn't talking about atheists here. He's talking about how, how, people give their attention to his word or how they don't. He's talking about the crowds who, who have some exposure to the word, maybe people that go to church. And he's saying there's a hearing of God's word that's, that's going to be a fruitless experience for many people because while maybe their bodies are in church, they've already become distracted cluttered in their affections, mixed up in their aspirations, and so they've become just desensitized to spiritual truth. And, and people can actually pride themselves that they're not, you know, easily moved spiritually. They, they can hear divine truth in a detached way. God help us, you know. God help us if the church actually begins to train people to hear the word lightly. If, if, we just, if we just start scaling back, finding out what the crowd wants, and, and keeping everything light, and keeping everything breezy, 
keeping everything sort of culturally sensitive to the tastes of the people who come through the doors and not stretching their minds with the deep truths of God, we can contribute to this lack of understanding that Jesus is talking about. And so, in the mind of Jesus, the first obstacle to overcome, if I want to hear the the word of God with fruitfulness, I have to overcome hearing it lightly, lazily, uh, with a kind of indifference. The, the, The seed is useless and vulnerable just sitting on the top of my life, on the surface of my life. I mean, how else could Jesus make more clear the need for the word to penetrate my life deeply and not just land lightly on the surface? This takes incredible work. More work, the longer maybe I've followed Jesus and the more I think I already know his will and way and all the details for my life. Okay, point number three. I can't receive the word in a fruitful manner until I'm willing to displace whatever is in my heart that is contrary and unyielding to its truth. This is such an important point. I see it in five and six of Matthew 13 and then the explanation in 2021. So first five and six. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But but when the sun rose, they were scorched, Jesus says. And since they had no root, they withered away. Now, Jesus is going to tell the disciples what he meant with those words. And this is in 20 and 21 of Matthew 13. For what was sown on rocky ground This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 21, yet yet he has no root in himself. That's an interesting phrase. But endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And I want you to notice that Jesus repeats a word in those two verses. He uses the word immediately twice describing these people. He says they receive the word with joy immediately, 13.5. And then Jesus says they fall away immediately, 13.21. Two immediates. And so here, clearly, we have Jesus dealing with the problem of short-lived spiritual experience, short-lived spiritual commitment. Why do do Christians drift away? Why don't all of our aspirations and spiritual goals that we might have at the beginning, why don't they all materialize? So, So why don't so many Christians end up as well as they start out? That's the issue. That's the issue Jesus is dealing with in these verses. You can picture the problem Jesus is addressing. That the seed enters the soil. It begins to germinate. There's come uh, an emotional kind of excitement, perhaps, that comes from that inner awareness of a fresh commitment, a fresh start. 
But, but just as surely as the germination was rapid, it was also shallow. That's what Jesus says. The roots went down into the soil, but only a short way. And here's what happened. The roots hit a rock. And here's the point. I think this is so important. From the surface, this whole process is completely invisible. The sprout is there, the roots are going down, and underneath the soil where you can't see it, there's, there's rock. And the roots can't go down very deep. But the rocks are under the surface. In other words, nobody can see what's going on here. The leaves stayed green for a while, then they wilted, then they died. And what Jesus means is, it's very possible, Don for this to happen in your heart. Some kind of quick response. The Lord speaks, some kind of quick response made to God through his word and everything feels pretty good. People rejoice, the sinner had come home, but there was a disaster in the making and nobody could see it. Things seemed fine for a while. The tiny shoots of growth, they seemed green, they seemed healthy, but all the while, death was in the making. Trials came, people poked fun, relationships maybe had to be realigned, the only Christian in the home, the only Christian in the class, the university class, the professor poked fun. Uh, so it just, it just seemed difficult, it seemed hard. And the new plant shriveled up and died. And here's the thing. A light understanding will likely say, well, the problem was the persecution. The problem was the ridicule. The problem was the opposition. No, 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 no. That wasn't the problem. That's a frequent, I think, misinterpretation of this parable. The cause of the shriveled life wasn't in the trial. It wasn't just in the difficulty. Those things only manifested what was wrong under the surface. Here's what happened. Somewhere. Amid all the excitement of new spiritual life and a fresh start, the Lord began to deal with something under the surface of my life. And while this new convert was singing choruses and giving testimony and going to church, God was trying to reach a level of sacrifice down deep. Underneath the emotions, there was a, there was a change that the Lordship of Jesus wanted to make in my heart. And for whatever reason, while the emotions were stirred, my will wasn't totally dethroned. And let me tell you something about how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit will always go straight to the unyielded areas of my life rather than the ones I've already submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. That's just how it works. There are whole churches who teach people just to live by their feelings and by their impulses. There are whole churches who thrive on keeping people just on the edge of their seats with some kind of emotional excitement. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with a bright emotional quality in my Christian walk. But sooner or later, God's going to come to some area of my stubborn will underneath the surface of my life. And it's what I do then. 
that determines whether this plant's going to live or die. And here's the thing. You're not going to know. No one else is going to know whether I'm listening to Jesus at that area or not. No one else is going to see it. No one else will see how real the lordship of Jesus is under the surface of my life. But that one issue, that one part of life that I refuse to budge on, that determines my spiritual survival. And then Jesus tells us why. One of the key verses in this parable, Matthew 13, 12. Make sure you see this verse because it relates to something I want to talk about now, a little issue. 13, 12. For to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, now, I think most of us understand that Jesus, through the inward work of the Holy Spirit, he speaks to our lives, plants truth in our hearts. So the, the one who has, more will be given. That's fine. I think we all understand that. Praise God. We appreciate it. It's, it's the last part of that 12th verse that I think is a little harder to digest and I want to look at. Did, did, did you know Jesus speaks these words, these words, and he says somehow the Holy Spirit will actually take away precious benefit from his word in my life when I cease to live in obedience to what he reveals. Like that's a striking truth. I think now about all these, you've seen it, I've seen it, all these brand name Christians getting famous for deconstructing their faith, walking away from their faith. It's the new fad. It happens just all the time now. And, and the thing is, they aren't doing this because they had honest intellectual problems, even if that's what they think. There's something of this verse, but from the one who has not, even what he has, one of the, one of the translations says, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. And so study all of these brand name Christians kind of walking away and deconstructing their faith. And here's what you'll find in common. They all think that they are in charge of the process. They all think that we decided to deconstruct our faith. We decided to go on TikTok and make ourselves famous because unlike our evangelical pastor dad, we're, we're going our own way. We're thinking for ourselves. We're not following the blind evangelical cult. They think they're initiating this process. And this text says they aren't. They aren't participants in the process, except at the very beginning. They're recipients of the judging work of the Holy Spirit. Even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Taken. He's not giving it up. Taken away. They imagine they're the only party involved in their deconstructing of their faith, and they don't even understand. 
even what he thinks he has. There's, there's the way they perceive things going on, but it's not reality. They, they aren't even aware where the Holy Spirit is coming in and sucking the spiritual life out of their hearts. They think they're doing it themselves. I'm thinking of those words in Hebrews 4.12. They're comforting and they're terrifying. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God, you know these words, we usually, we usually have them at the beginning of a sermon to show how God's word will do its work and, and we think it only refers to a positive sense and it does, it does, but not just a positive sense. For the word of God is living. It's a living thing. Active. It, it's doing stuff all the time. Sometimes you're aware of it, sometimes you're not, but it's always doing stuff. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. To me, those are terrifying words. Underscore those words, living and active. They're full of great comfort, but they're also full of holy terror. The, the, the word of God reaches into lives in ways people don't even perceive when the word is doing it. It's active. It's a living thing. And so you, you start, like Isaiah says, you start to close your eyes and shut your ears just at any point. Or, you know, these, these, Jesus continues with the same idea, these plants that the roots go down, but they hit the rock and, and nobody's dealing with the unyielded area under the surface that no one else sees. And so it just looks on the surface like, well, all these brand name Christians are just walking away and deconstructing their faith. And nobody realizes, no, it's, it's even what he thinks he has, this living, active word, it's taking it away drying them up. They think they're doing it themselves. People fall and fail in all sorts of ways. I get it. God is patient. God is merciful. God is helpful. God is forgiving. The old King James, beautiful. God is long-suffering with any who have a soft and repentant heart over and over again. He takes us into his arms. He picks us up, washes us clean. But he's absolutely intolerant. We talk a lot about tolerance and intolerance today. God is 100% intolerant of a stubborn refusal to yield. So any area of defiant under the surface persistent unwillingness to heed the word, it will shrivel up the life and destroy the possibility of fruit. Let me try and wrap this up. It's not that God is loveless or it's not that he's willing that any should perish. We all know that. The Bible says so. That's not what I'm saying under this warning point. God does everything he can to force us to see when something is seriously wrong spiritually. Let me tell you what I'm 
gradually forming my own understanding of, of how spiritual life works. Spiritual growth, I see it as more and more as a seamless thing. I'm not perfect, but I mean, it, it, all of the life has to be equally yielded. I'm growing in all of them, of course. I'm not there in any of them. But it's, it's seamless. It's not like a tangerine that you can break up into segments. It's more like a bowl of jello that it's all of one piece. You can't break it up into component parts. It, 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 it can't even be broken up into the usual chronological distinctions of past, present, and future. Because holy decisions in the present open up my life in the future to more of God's grace. Just as careless, defiant acts in the present shut out future grace down the road. It all moves ahead together or it all falls, falls back together. And so we're studying now this habit under this point of not hearing when truth confronts. Not hearing it, it actually removes previous spiritual growth. That's what's happening with these deconstructing Christians. The habit of not hearing truth that confronts, it actually removes previously understood and appreciated truth. It, it all lacks sense. It all falls apart. It, it all loses meaning. I'm, I'm fascinated by the way Luke deals with this same parable. In Luke 8.18, this is what I mentioned earlier. Look at Luke 8.18. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, Look at the difference here. Even what he thinks he has. In other words, don't be so sure about all the past that's accumulated in your Christian walk. You stop listening and you, you stubbornly don't yield at some point. All the stuff you think you had that was firm, it'll, none of it's going to make sense to you. None of it's going to look valid to you. So, so all of these deconstructing Christians, what they don't understand is they are simply fulfilling the truth of God's word yet again. Even what he thinks he had will be taken away. And now I have a bit of a handle on that idea that spiritual growth is seamless. Luke just shows how easy it is to assume the possession of truth that isn't really possessed at all. Well, boy, Pastor Don, you're kind of scaring me. I mean, then how can I tell? How can I measure when I am being godly? How can I measure where I'm at spiritually? Well, spiritual life can't be had in pieces. It's a seamless life. There are no perforated sections you can tear off. So it's in every area of my life or it's in no area at all. And the areas in which I think I'm walking in maturity are revealed suspect if the Holy Spirit is ignored in another area of my life. Past growth only stands validated by future sensitivity and obedience. Present spiritual depth is only authenticated by 
future spiritual attentiveness. No, no part of the Christian life comes all by itself, unattached from the rest. And my final comment is, this is the loving action of God, not a cruel one. It's the Spirit's way of turning my heart from a deadly kind of spiritual coasting, leaving things under the surface of my life that are only going to shrivel up any growth that the Spirit wants to bring. It's how God builds safety into my walk with Him for the future by present faithfulness. It's how He takes you and me. Mark 4.20 reverses the numbers. This is how God takes you and me from being 30-folders to 60-folders to 100-folders. It doesn't take supermen and women. It just takes people ongoingly faithful repentantly yielding when the Spirit speaks of the things under the surface that need to constantly be removed. Give, give Him your whole heart. Let's pray. Those are really big, rugged, spiritual truths that we've been studying. We're so grateful that we have scriptural truth that isn't just sentimental, but that actually comes and presses real issues, the, the biggest, most important issues. It presses them forcefully into our minds and into our hearts. We don't receive your word with condemnation, but we receive your word with humility, repentance, always relying on the spirit of Jesus to keep us close. Bless CW Community Church and all of us, Jesus, you're Lord, not just of the plants on the surface of our lives. Jesus, you're Lord of the rocks just under the surface. Dig them out. Have your way. And increase the fruitfulness in all of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless the church. Hang in there. Love one another and uh, join us for our prayer time.